Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. I know you've kept up with the headlines in the news as yesterday uh, with the attack on Israel. And it just made me remember, you know, Psalm 122 says, pray for the peace of Israel. So I thought we might do that um, and just pray. It's a dangerous world we live in, scary world. So let's pray. Father, we, uh, you know, we live in a world of hate. Um, people are hating each other internationally. People hate each other within our own country. Um, and Father, Israel has always had this unique history, the promised land, and your people, the Jews, living in that land. And um, it's really stunning when you think about the odds of history and any one group staying in one place like that, having been dispersed for so long. And, and your word says to pray for the peace of Israel. So we do that today. But Father, we know that Jesus himself said that as long as, as long as we're here on this planet, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And, but we look forward to that day when, when you're seated at the, at the head of the conference table. Father, where the lion lays down by the lamb, where people beat their swords into plowshares. And I, I pray that, uh, that that would be true of the church because we're supposed to be a reflection of what heaven's going to be like. And I pray that until that day comes that you would bring peace to this world or at least a semblance of it so that we can reach as many people as possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Speaking of no peace, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi, Taylor Swift were on a train together. And they went through a tunnel, and while they're in the pitch black dark of the tunnel, you hear a slap. And when the train emerges from the tunnel, Joe Biden's got a big red handprint on his face. And Nancy Pelosi thought, that Joe Biden, he probably tried to hug me and hug Taylor Swift by mistake, and she slapped him. And Taylor Swift thought, Joe Biden, he probably tried to hug me and hug Nancy Pelosi by mistake, and she smacked him. And Joe Biden thought, man, that Donald Trump, he probably tried to hug Taylor Swift, and she thought it was me, and she smacked me. And Donald Trump thought, I hope we go through another tunnel so I can smack Biden again. <laughs> it's not political. It's just funny, okay? Don't get all bent out of shape about it or twist it off. But it does make a point. And that point is, it's hard to know who to believe these days. Especially when everyone seems to be telling lies. But you know, that's been the case from the very beginning. Let's go to John chapter 8. Last time we talked about three words, abide, truth, freedom. Jesus said in John 8, he said, if you abide in my words, then you are truly disciples of mine. 
And that word abide means to live, to pitch your tent, to remain. And it was an appropriate word given the fact that they had just celebrated the Feast of Booths and they had tabernacled in those tents in their backyard. He's saying if you abide in the same way that you abided in those tents, remembering the trouble and the difficulty of Israel as they traveled through the wilderness, if you abide in my word, pitch your tent under my word, then you will discover the truth, you'll know the truth, and that truth will set you free. And I thought about that, you know, and I've let it sort of run through my head because if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. If it's as easy as that, then why aren't more people free today? You ever wonder that? I mean, people say they want to be free. They, they act like they want the truth. And yet when it comes back around to it, it seems like they prefer the lie. And that's been true since the garden. Remember, Eve is in the garden and the serpent comes and tells her a lie. He says, you know, God, he's hiding from you. He's withholding things from you. He told you you can't eat from any of these trees. And she corrected him because she knew the truth. She said, no, no, no. He said, I can eat from any tree but this one. And he said, well, he doesn't want you to eat from this one because he knows when you eat from this one, that your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. And she saw the fruit and it was desirable. And what does she do? She believes a lie. And you know, I see that happening in our world. I see it happening in me sometimes. And it's been happening since the garden. Why is that? Why is it that we say we want truth, we say we want freedom, but we prefer the lie? I don't know. Maybe the truth requires something from us that we aren't willing to give or, you know, Maybe the truth just wasn't what we wanted to hear. See, we want it to be true, but we want it to be the truth we want to hear. Or maybe it's simpler. Maybe it's just that behind all of this is the big lie, and that big lie is this, I think I know better than God. Because isn't that, isn't that the temptation in the garden? When you eat this fruit, you're going to know better than God. And ever since then, we have felt like we know better than God. And that was in play with these these people Jesus is dealing with, and that's in play in the lies that we tell ourselves. God says, don't do that. That's a mistake. It, not in my case, I say, because God, I, I don't really want to break the news to you, but I think I know better than you. God says, that's a sin. Don't do that. And we're like, well, everybody else is doing it, God. And by the way, I'm not sure you know best, so I think I may know better than you. And that's exactly what was going on with these men, the Jewish leaders. You know, Jesus has looked them in the eye, and He said to them, if you'll abide in my, truth, my, my word, you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. Um, but these guys had stubbornly held on to the lie because they thought they knew better. Here's what had happened. Their forefathers had taken God's Word, and they had added things to it. In fact, their traditions have become so important to them that the traditions actually superseded the Word of God. And so they had all of these oral traditions that had been passed down and codified in their books of the Mishnah and the Talmud. And they had a, they had a book on the oral traditions, then they had a book describing the oral traditions, explaining the oral traditions. And so it became so convoluted that by the time of Jesus, they had created all of these extraneous laws related to the Sabbath, which was given to man so that we would rest. But they, in trying to define what rest was, they, they, they tried to define what work was. And so they had all these idiotic ideas about it to where it became just to the point of absurdity. And that's just one illustration 
So then when Jesus comes along and says, if you abide in my word, the true word, then you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. They just couldn't do that because they had already had an extra word because they knew better than God. And they had also determined which parts of God's word they would ignore and which they would selectively accept. And so as a result of that, Jesus said, abide in my word, you'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. And they were like, uh, uh, sorry, but we know better. They didn't just reject the offer. They actually denied even needing it. Because if you back up in John 8, 31, 32, 33, they say, we're Abraham's offspring. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we should be free? Um, so they're just trapped in that lie. And so Jesus reminds them of something. He said, everyone that sins is the slave of sin. And watch this. He says, the slave doesn't stay in the house forever. You know, that's an important point. You see, as long as you sin and you're outside of grace and you're not under the grace of God, when I'm under the grace of God, what happens to me? I'm positionally changed. He has transferred you out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, Colossians says. And Romans says that when He does that, we become a child, an heir, and the child does remain in the house forever. But hey, you Jewish guys right now, you're in the house because God's plan, but you're, as, you're a slave in the house because you're a slave to sin. And the slave doesn't stay forever. Only the family does, right? And so that's an important warning there. And so look what he says in verse 37. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. There it is. Their heads were so filled with lies that there was no room for the word. So let's, let's talk about the lies that they believed because I suspect the lies they believed are similar to the lies that we believe. So here's the lies they believed. First of all, they believed they were born into freedom. They said to him, they answered and said to him, verse 39, Abraham is our father. Here's what they thought. They thought that they were free by virtue of their birthright. Because of who my family is, I'm free. And it's, it's hard not to sort of buy into this. Even in the church, there's a lot of people whose mom and dad were deeply devoted followers of Jesus, and they thought by virtue of that, well, then I have some special privileged position with God regardless of what I do in my life, right? And it's hard not to fall back on that. I came from a Christian home. You know, truthfully, there's really no such thing as a Christian home. There are only Christians in a home. And you aren't born a Christian. You're reborn a Christian. I love what one guy said. He said, God doesn't have any grandkids. He only has children. And every person to become a child has to place his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But they thought they were the chosen ones because of their birthright, right? And then the second lie that they believed is that birthright is more important than right living. They were the chosen ones, and over time they thought that because I'm the chosen one, and it's hard, you know, I, I've got this image of like celebrity kids who grow up, or, you know, children of a royalty, and they grow up with such great privilege that the rules no longer apply to them. You know, when you're a celebrity, you can kind of do whatever you want. And so they thought it was more about their privilege and family, that the rules weren't really theirs. Look at what Jesus says in verse 39. He said, if you're Abraham's children, here it is, then do the deeds of Abraham. Don't just claim to be Abraham's kids. 
do what Abraham did. And if you look over at Romans chapter 4, verse 3, you'll find real quickly what Abraham did. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's what Abraham did. Abraham lived by faith. And by virtue of his faith, he found himself in a position with God of righteousness. God took the righteousness of grace and applied it to his life by virtue of faith. So so what... What Jesus is saying to these religious leaders is, okay, you're Abraham's kids. We'll do the stuff Abraham did. you got to trust and believe by faith. And that's where you're going to find freedom. He said, I'll tell you this, verse 40, but as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Abraham didn't kill truth speakers. Abraham listened to truth speakers. And when the truth of God confronted Abraham, regardless of where he was, you know, Abraham lied a couple of times. And when he lied and he was confronted by it, what did he do? He repented and listened. Jesus said in verse 41, you're doing the deeds of your father. Yikes. (laughs) Third thing, they believed that they were in the right. Man, it's, you know, it's really hard to deal with. It's hard to deal with me when I think I'm in the right. Dobson said this one time, and I've always tried to remember it. I've never been more in danger of being wrong than when I thought I was right. And sometimes I am right, but I I still don't handle that in the right way. I I can be wrong in my rightness. But a lot of times I'm convinced that I'm right when in fact I'm not. And and in those moments, I become so obtuse that the truth can't penetrate my defenses because I'm so convinced of my own whatever it is that I'm right, that everybody else must be wrong. And, and that's where these guys were. They were, these, they're not pretending at this point. They genuinely believed that they were right. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I've not even come on my own initiative. And isn't that interesting? But he sent me. And you see that, 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 idea is repeated that the Father sent the Son. So Jesus is like, I'm not here seeking glory. I'm here on a mission. God sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And I read that and I try to slide into those sandals, you know, and I'm like, wow, this just got like taken to a whole nother level. He just called the Pharisees and the religious leaders. I mean, the only equivalency I can think of is is some sort of Ayatollah or some sort of, you know, religious leader in an Islamic culture where it is not a democracy but a theocracy where, you know, religion dominates the laws of the land and you're uh, this sort of, outlier who has been confronted over the truth that you speak and you say to them, you guys are of the devil. Now, by the way, any image that you have of Jesus, you need to include an idea of Jesus who was so courageous that he would stand toe-to-toe with powerful people and call them out on it. We'd like to make Jesus into some sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, Mr. Rogers, 
where he's just so nice and sweet. And he, hey, you, you need a Jesus that makes people mad enough to kill him. He's tough. And you want to do the desires of your father. This is why they're lying. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I've got a book in my office by a psychiatrist named Dr. Scott Peck. It's called People of the Lie. And it's an intense look on the nature of evil. Um, and one of the one of the reason why he named the book "The People of the Lie" is he wanted to emphasize metaphorically the deeper deeper level of of deception and deceit that people engage in to fabricate these false facades in order to keep people from dealing with the deeper sin issues of their life. And so when he's dealing with evil, he he's dealing with people who are living lies. But he made another interesting assessment. The title also emphasizes the fact that evil people, one of the predominant characteristics of their evil is that they lie constantly. In fact, uh, he, he was an atheist. He was a Buddhist. He was searching for God. And one of the things that he said in his, in his, in his study was that you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if there's what we would call a genuine demon possession, because if I could find one of those, I would believe in it. And he found what he thought were two. And one of the characteristics that came from those encounters with people that he thought were really demonized or demonic was that they were just notorious liars that lie when the truth was just as good. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. Children of the father of lies are characteristic are characteristically liars. And so that's what they're going to do. They're going to tell lies because you have to tell lies to live the lie, right? And when you're bound up in these lies, you can't hear the truth. That's look at verse 45. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? And the only answer I can come up with is because they are so committed to the lie. Verse 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. So those are the lies that we believe. Now let's talk about the lies they told. You see, to keep living the lie, you have to keep telling the lies, right? So here's the lies they told. First of all, they said Jesus was illegitimate. Look at verse 41. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Why do you think they said that? Because if you can't receive the truth, you have to attack the messenger. If the message is something I can't receive and I can't refute, I attack the messenger. And so by demeaning his family, they could feel socially superior. We're not born of fornication. We know who our father is. Second, they said he was sinful. And they don't come out and say that in this particular case, but it's inferred because look back up at verse 46. He says, which one of you convicts me of sin? So we can understand by that, that at some point in this conversation, they said he was sinful. And he's like, okay, show me my sin. Who can convict me of my sin? You know, in the very next chapter, Romans 9, we're going to see this when we get there. Jesus heals this blind man. 
He's been blind from birth. And so it's, it's one of my favorite stories because it's so ludicrous. He does it on the Sabbath. And of course, the religious leaders get all twisted off about it because he's violated one of their rules. And they don't even think about the poor man who's been blind his whole life. And so they, they first of all, they threaten his parents, you know, tell us, you know, what's going on here? And they're like, hey, 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 he's old enough. You ask him. So they drag him in and they, and they basically say to him, we know this man's a sinner. And the guy backs up and just in his simple honesty, you know, because truth speakers are just going to speak honesty. He says, well, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. He's like, isn't that interesting? So this is something they always did to Jesus. They were always calling him a sinner. And by defaming his character, they could feel morally superior. It's all about positioning yourself in such a way that you're superior. And then they accused him of being a Samaritan. The Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, Samaritans in their day was the lowest of the low. It's the biggest insult they could give. And so by disparaging his ethnicity, they could feel culturally superior. But when I read that, I thought of that scene out of Sandlot, you know, where the catcher steps out and gets into an insult fight with these smart aleck kids who've ridden up on their bicycles, and they're going back and forth calling each other, you know, immature potty word names. And finally, the catcher reaches the end of it, and he says, well, you play ball like a girl. It's like the worst possible thing a nine-year-old kid could say to another kid. You play ball like a girl. And that's what, I, that's what I envision here. They're like so twisted off, they can't think of anything to say. Well, you're a Samaritan. You know, when my son was young, he had a really rough, bad temper. He'd get so mad at his brother. And he would say things like, I hate you. Or sometimes he would use a potty word, you know. And so we'd have to get on to him. You can't say those words. You can't say, I hate. You can't say this. And he'd get swatted and he'd get in trouble and all these other things. And one time he got so mad at his brother and he knew he couldn't say a, a bad word. He said, you're a, you're a, you're a bomb brain. <laughs> we kind of chuckled and we're like, no, wait a second. Bomb brain's really not in the litany of bad words. But in his mind, it's probably as vulgar a cuss word as he can, as he can use. So we said, no more bomb brain. Next time he gets mad, he called him a dinosaur. You're a dinosaur. <laughs> so we kind of gave up, you know. I mean, where do you go with that? We just try not to laugh, but that's where I am here. These guys are so mad and they're so twisted off and they can't think of anything else. You're a, you're a, um, uh, you're a, uh, 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 you're a Samaritan. And everybody kind of looks at each other like, Samaritan? You see, nobody's ever accused Jesus of being a Samaritan. Everybody knew he wasn't a Samaritan. So why did they say that? You know, they kind of look at each other like, Samaritan? Where'd you, where'd you come up with that? And then they quickly caught themselves and said, and you have a demon. You're a Samaritan and, and you have a demon. And, and to me, it just goes at where they are and the heart of the lies that they're telling so they settle on that, you're demonic. And this was a common thing they said about Jesus. In fact, one time, 
Jesus cast out some demons, and somebody must have gone up to the Pharisees and said, what do you think about that? And they, they had no answer for it. So you know what they said? Well, he casts out demons by demons. And so Jesus is like, okay, guys, all right. Jesus was so patient. Okay, guys, think about it, okay? Why would Satan cast out demons? If, if, if a house is divided against itself, it can't stand. So why would he do that? And they didn't have an answer for it. But they're still saying these things. They're still demonizing because by demonizing his spirit, they could feel spiritually superior. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. What a beautiful promise. It just comes back around to his word. You'll never see death. What's our great fear? Death. You don't have to fear it anymore. You're going to live forever. And what do they respond with? Well, you're just a man. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. The prophets also died. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? In other words, you ain't nothing special. You're just a man like everyone else. And by diminishing his divinity, they could feel authoritatively superior. And all of these lies are built on the premise of trying to hold on to the big lie so that they wouldn't have to deal with themselves. That's, that's what's at stake. And look, before we cluck our tongues and wag our heads at these guys, we've got to take a hard look inside because Jesus gives us even more truth. Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. You've not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And the Jews, they're losing their minds at this point. They said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Truthfully, he was 33. You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And when you read that the first time, it's like the grammar doesn't work. Shouldn't he have said, before Abraham was born, I was? Or even better, I was before Abraham was born? Why does he say I am? Well, you know, don't you? When Moses stood at that burning bush and God said, Moses, I got a job for you. I want to send you into, into Egypt. I want you to deliver my people. And Moses said to God, who do I tell them? Who do I say has sent me? And God said, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the divine tetragrammaton, four letters in the Hebrew, because Hebrew didn't use vowels. Yahweh, I am. And the implication is, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I will be with you. I am. And Jesus intentionally used that description of himself, only in the Greek, me, I am. And look what happened. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You know, when liars can't deal with truth, they throw stones. So what do we take from this? Lessons from the liars. One, it's easy to lie. 
It's easy to lie. Truthfully, we all tend to lie. We tend to lie to ourselves. What do we say? I'm going to lose 40 pounds by Christmas. You ever tell yourself that lie? My son came in one day and he said, Dad, I got one week to get in the best shape of my life. I'll never do that again. You ever tell yourself that lie? I'll never make that mistake again. I'll never commit that sin again. Here's the big lie we all tell ourselves. I am an above average exceptional driver. (laughs) Dave Barry said, 90% of people are convinced that they are an above average exceptional driver. But we tell lies like this. My heart isn't so sad. My life isn't so lost. I think I can fix this on my own. And then we lie to each other. We say things like, I'm good, I got this, I'm fine. It's easy to lie. Secondly, it's hard to give up on a lie. You see, once you start lying, you gotta keep lying, and we'd rather hold on to the lie than change. That's really at the core of what these guys are dealing with. Because when Jesus said, if you abide in my word, he's talking about walking by grace instead of legalism and the law. And they were so chained to that, they couldn't give it up. They'd spent their lives on a lie and they couldn't release it. Third, people committed to lies will attack the truth. Even when they know it's not working for them. They attack Jesus constantly. And you know what he said in Matthew chapter 10? He said, it's enough for the disciple to be as the teacher. If they call the head of the house Beelzebul, which is the Lord of demons, the Lord of the flies, how much more the members of the household? You know, I look at this world around me and I go, why is everybody so mad at Jesus? Because liars attack anything that threatens them. Fourth thing, most importantly, freedom happens when we replace lies with truth. You know, in John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light. In other words, as light comes in, darkness is driven out. In the same vein, truth drives out lies. Truth drives out lies. And when you think about it, this whole idea of replacing lies with truth is really the business of discipleship. And what are we called to? Go therefore and make disciples. So in discipleship, it's the process by which God takes the truth, applies it to our lives, and drives out the lies. We replace the lies with truth. I mean, what's, what's the Bible saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 2? And do not be conformed to this world. That's the easy part, man. I walk into a room where I'm uncertain and I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? I'm going to do what everybody else is doing. And we allow ourselves to be pressed into the mold of this world. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but look at this, be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of your mind. And, And as our minds are renewed, we prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's discipleship. Discipleship is the process where the Holy Spirit, working in concert with the Word, abide in the Word, know the truth, truth will make you free. And in that process, God, through the Word, begins to replace all the lies we live with, with truth. And the first step in that is to stop lying to yourself. You know, the sad thing for me about this story is, as far as I know, these men that were so hostile toward Jesus never accepted the truth. And as far as we know, 
They died with a lie. How sad would it be to be standing there staring truth in the face? You know, Pilate did that too. Jesus mentioned truth and Pilate, looking straight at the truth, says, what is truth? And in the cynicism of our time, we're so chained and conditioned to all the lies that are told, nobody even knows what the truth is anymore. And the saddest thing is, people all around us are dying with their lies. But you know, God doesn't want us to live like that. And so the first step in transformation is stop lying to yourself. Be honest about what's going on. Be honest about the hurt. Be honest about the sense of failure and the feelings of guilt. Be honest with the shame. Be honest with the sin. As David said, you know, I tried to hide my sin and my spirit shrunk up and shriveled up inside of me, but I confessed my sin. He was faithful and just to forgive me of all my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And that's what God wants to do in your life today. But you got to give up the lie. Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, it's so easy for us to lie. It's so easy for us to believe lies. And we live in a world of liars and we lie to ourselves, and we lie to others. In this moment, Father, we want to receive truth. Your word is true. And I pray that you would help us to give up the lies we're telling ourselves. For those that are telling themselves that I don't, my sin's really not that bad, and in my case, God's going to somehow understand. And I pray in this moment they would just say, Father, my sin is ever before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I confess my sin and I pray for you, Father, through the cleansing of your word to cleanse my mind, cleanse my heart, cleanse my life through your grace. Father, help us as your, as your followers to abide in your word, to know the truth, and to be free. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.